Good morning, everyone. I'm going to read some song lyrics from one of my favorite songs I think is really powerful. I've been awake for an hour or so, checking for a pulse, but I just don't know. Am I a man when I feel like a ghost? The stranger in the mirror is wearing my clothes. No, I'm not all right. I know that I'm not right. A steering wheel don't mean you can drive. A warm body don't mean I'm alive. No, I'm not all right. I know that I'm not right. It feels like I travel, but I never arrive. I want to thrive, not just survive. These are the lyrics to one of my favorite songs because it depicts such an incredible different cloud of emotions, two completely different sides. It first shows that life is not all rainbows and butterflies. Life is hard sometimes. It's hard to get on. It's hard to survive some days. It also shows that sometimes life is rainbows and butterflies, and yet we get to this state of complacency where it feels like we're driving, we're moving, we're traveling, and yet we never arrive anywhere. These lyrics show that in our lives, we can't settle for survival because when we were created by God, we were created to thrive. It's very easy to get caught in a state of complacency, and there seems to be this barriers, these barriers that get placed around us, these limitations that are set. And yet, oft, very often, we're the very ones who set the limitations for ourselves. We put up this fence and post a keep out sign, and, and we wonder how, how we can get out from there and how those showed up in the first place. And it's, this is exactly what Paul is getting at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talking about the limitations that the, the Thessalonians have set for themselves, and yet he shows us, he, he explains a way of how to break free from those limitations. And it's at this time that Paul is beginning to wrap up his letter to the Thessalonians. After the first three chapters, he first uh, introduces to them, reminds them what he did while he was there, reminds them how much he cares for them, reminds them that they're in their constant prayers. And he, he begins this transition to the end of the letter, to his instruction with the word, finally. He says, based on everything I've said so far, here's the remaining pieces of the puzzle. Paul expresses that he has been praying for them constantly, that they have constantly been in the thoughts and the prayers of him and his companions, because as we see earlier in 1 Thessalonians, again, that uh, their time there in Thessalonica was cut short, and they want to be with them so bad, but they just can't be there. And so they are constantly in their thoughts and their prayers. And we see in chapter 3, verse 10, he, he says this, that, uh, we pray night and day earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And he says that, that anything that might be lacking in their faith can be completed because he knows that there's more room for the Thessalonians to grow. And while, while he was there, he was able to inform them and share lives with them. And yet some things they may have been uninformed about or or they misunderstand, or there are other things that they just can't fully quite grasp, or maybe there's just some things that they haven't been able to do well. And so Paul um, 
This is where we begin to see a strong contrast in what Paul is saying. Because so much of the letter in the first three chapters has talked about all of the things, all of the ways that the Thessalonians have been able to be such an outward thinking church, to love those around them, to reach out, to continue to grow and share love with everyone in Macedonia. But this is where we see the contrast and he starts to talk about the things that they have been doing so incredibly well, but also talk about the things, the weaknesses they have, the things that they are lacking in. And with the Thessalonian church specifically, we see one of the strengths that they have, again, is to be this outward thinking church, loving one another. And he talks about that in, from this passage that we just read. However, based off this, what we read in this chapter, again, we see that there are some weaknesses in the church in Thessalonica. Paul had just recently sent Timothy to scope out the church, see how they were doing, because Paul could not himself go. And, and Timothy comes back, he reports, and, and he tells Paul, and Paul realizes that there's another important teaching that, that he needs to remind the Thessalonians of, and that is the teaching of sexual immorality. And that's not to say that the church in Thessalonica is failing by any means, but it simply means that they are in need of more instruction and more guidance. And how many times are we in that same place? We are in need of reminders, constant reminders of how we should live. In fact, as, as we say, there are so many things that Paul has celebrated about the church in Thessalonica because he sees how much they love each other. He, he sees how much they're living to please God. And yet as, as each of these building blocks each of these bricks have been placed to build the foundation of the church in Thessalonica. We see that there are still some cracks. There are still some holes that have arisen that Paul needs to fill in. And so that's what he begins to do in chapter 4. And this is typical with any church and with any individual. Every church and every person is going to have strengths and they're going to have weaknesses, things that they do well, things that they're passionate about, things that maybe come naturally that they can do incredibly well, ways that God work through them, and then other ways that maybe they don't do well or they need to be constantly reminded of. We all have things like that in our lives. And so in light of this, here's my question for you this morning. First, what is lacking in your faith? What ways do you need to grow? What is the one thing that you keep going back to? Or what is the one thing that you just can't fully trust God with? What, what is it that is lacking in your faith? And as you're thinking about that, I want you to also think about what is your greatest spiritual strength? What do you feel is the best way that God is able to use you? And what is the, the best way that you feel that God is using you right now? What, what are those things? Because we are all like the believers in the Thessalonian church. We have strengths and we have weaknesses. And as Paul points out from this passage, is not just our weaknesses, not just our strengths, but both have the opportunity to grow. Both have the opportunity to get better. And whatever our strengths are, whatever our weaknesses are, as we read in this passage, we'll see that Paul wants us to identify what they are. And he doesn't want us to be satisfied in what our strengths are and, and just focus on what our weaknesses are or, or be so focused on our, our weaknesses that we forget about our strengths because we have the opportunity to grow in so many ways in both our strengths and our weaknesses. And we aren't supposed to be defeated in our lowest low and be discouraged in, in whatever it is so much that we don't do anything 
to change. And we aren't supposed to be so confident in our own abilities and in our strengths that we grow complacent and reliant on ourselves. And so this is what Paul begins to do in verse 1. And he talks about living in order to please God. And he says that you have received from us uh, the way you ought to walk and how you ought to please God. And you are doing this already. And so he knows that the believers in Thessalonica, they are already conducting their lives in a way that pleases God. And yet he uses this phrase. He says, just, so he says, just as you are doing that, you do so more and more. And this, when you translate those last two words, it's two different things. It's a verb and an adjective. The first verb is to excel. And then the next word is still more. So when he's saying that you do so more and more, he's saying that you are already excelling in this area. You are already letting God work through you in so many ways. And yet you have potential to excel even more than you are right now. And he continues on in verse two and and talks about, he uses this past tense language. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. They already know the ways that they ought to live. They already know the things that they need to do. And yet they need to be encouraged to do so more and more. Because we know that it's more than just knowing what we ought to do. It's about growing. It's about putting forth effort towards those things that we need to do. So what does it look like to excel still more? This is a picture of the recent Olympic champion in the 400 meter hurdles. His name is Carson Vorholm. And uh, if you, he's, he's from Norway. And if, if you know anything about the 400 meter hurdles, you know that it is, and I just don't understand why anyone would choose to run this race. It is seriously the worst kind of race because not only do you have to sprint for 400 meters, which is what I like to call the eternal sprint, but you do that. And on top of that, you have to jump over hurdles. Okay. So, so this is his event. And, and this is the event that he won the gold medal in, in the most recent Olympics in Tokyo. And previously in, in the 2016 Olympics, he was the champion as well. And so from that time, from the first time he won to the second time, many changes took place. After he won the first time, he kept training. He kept working on himself. He kept getting better. And so one month before the uh, Olympics in Tokyo, he actually set the world record for the 400 meter hurdles. And what's a huge deal about this is this was the longest lasting world record in any Olympic event. It had lasted 29 years without being broken until he broke it one month before in sort of a trial run. And so he breaks the world record. He is excelling incredibly well. He is the fastest man in the world in his particular event. And then he goes to the 2020 Olympics and does something even more incredible. He breaks his world record again a second time by almost an entire second. And what's so crazy about this race is the runner who came in second place also broke the world record. So imagine you run so fast, you run the race of your life, you break a world record, and then you still come in second place because the person in front of you ran even faster than that and broke the world record so much. Incredible. So what does it look like to excel still more? The things that Carson Vorholm was good at, he couldn't have just been done. He, I, I, I got a gold medal. I, I did it. I'm the fastest in the world. 
He breaks the world record. I'm the fastest ever. And yet he knew that there was more room for him to grow. And this is exactly true in our lives. And that's what's so incredible about our lives through Christ is because by ourselves, we do have limitations. But through the power of Christ, there's an abundant overflow that has no limits. And Paul is aware of this. And he knew that though the Thessalonians were an incredible church and they had such an outward thinking minds and their love for one another was so great, he knew that there was more room for them to grow. And so because of this, he keys in on a weakness of the church. And that is sexuality. And in verse 3, he, he talks about what, what that means. He says uh, he, that it's God's will for their sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. See, in the city of Thessalonica, there were generally low moral standards for sexuality in the society around them, particularly for the men in society. It was natural to have mistresses and to participate in pagan prostitution, lots of things like that. Those were just things that were accepted in their society. And Paul, knowing this, and knowing that the majority of his audience is a Gentile audience, and we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, he, he touches on this. He says, you turned to God from idols. So he knows that many people in his audience, the people he's writing to, they used to participate in all these pagan cults that participated in uh, this version of sexuality that is different from what God calls us to do. He knows that that is something that used to be a part of their lives. And so because of this, it is a huge temptation for them to revert back to how they used to live. And they're constantly being persuaded by the people around them to revert back to their old ways. And so because of this, Paul offers a sexual ethic in which all people from all backgrounds can share a commonality on, and that is living to please God. Having our first and foremost purpose and desire to please God. And he establishes this idea because he wants it to get in their head that they are God's beloved creation. We are all God's beloved creation. And so because of this, because we are God's loved child, that comes with instruction, that comes with a calling to live in a way that pleases God. And I want to look at verse 5 specifically as we talk about this idea. It says, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so there seems to be a connection between knowing God and conducting our lives in a way that honors him. And so in light of this, it's not that we are constantly living our lives to avoid instances where God will be angry with us, but we are constantly living our lives so that we live in a way that pleases God and we are pushing ourselves closer toward a relationship with God, because we know that we cannot successfully run away from sin unless we are running towards God. And in our society, we come across many things that are promoted as normal in society. Just how the church in Thessalonica, the, the sexual ethic there was promote, it was just promoted as it was normal. It was normal to do all these things. It was normal to participate in pagan worship and to have mistresses and to visit the prostitutes. That was normal. And in our society, many things that go against what God calls us to go against 
Um, that, those are the things that are natural in society. And there, there are so many things that society says that's okay with between sex outside of marriage, pornography, greed, idolatry, anything that serves ourselves is what is celebrated in society. And so just like the Thessalonians, we have been told what uh, proper Christian conduct is. We, we see in the Bible what that is. However, just like the Thessalonians, even though we are aware of many of these self-serving idols and we are aware that they're not in line with what God has taught us, we are still tempted by society because that is the popular thing. That's the popular ideology. Other people don't share much of what they have, so why should I? Uh, other people gossip in the office and in the workplace, so, so why can't I? The list could go on and on. However, when we talk about what it means to excel more, we see that, again, it is less about getting farther away from sin and more about getting closer to God. Because the closer we are to God, the more our actions will reflect that closeness to him. As we look in verse 8, we, we see uh, another important piece of this puzzle. It says, Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so when we are living in a way that pleases God, when we are striving towards having a closer relationship with God, God is pouring out his Holy Spirit onto us. And that helps us conduct our lives in a way that honors him. How incredible is it that the closer we are to God, the more he pours out his spirit on us. And while God is a God that desires obedience, that obedience, again, it comes from first having a relationship with him. And so as Paul talks about one of the weaknesses in the Thessalonian church, he transitions then and talks about one of their strengths. And this comes in verses 9 through 10. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write, to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God how to love one another. You already know. You already know how you should be loving one another. And let's go on to verse 10. See if we can advance. There we go. Uh, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. But we urge you to excel still more. They are already loving those around them so well and doing such a good job of this. And yet Paul says, do not grow complacent where you are. Do not choose to plateau because there is more that God could be using you. God could be pouring out his spirit even more on you. And how incredible is that? Paul says that they can take the things that they're good at and get even better as they continue to live in order to please God. And this is similar to what it's like owning a house. When you first buy the house, you see that there are all the things that you want to change. You want to redo the downstairs bathroom, or you want to put up new drywall in the living room. You want to take down all the wallpaper, and, and then you want to paint all, all the walls. The list keeps going. And as you start to fix all those things, as you start to replace all those things, you slowly begin to realize that the moment that you fix one thing, and the moment that you complete one project, there seems to be another project that could also be done after that. So it seems to be 
almost a never-ending cycle. And so that brings up a really good point that Paul points out in, in the next passage as he's talking in verses 11 and 12. This idea of discouraging idleness. And he talks a lot more about this in the following passage uh, that we'll talk about next week. But he touches on it because he says that he wants them to first desire to live quietly and act humbly. Be focused on your own affairs. Continue to work in a way that pleases God. And he discourages idleness because he knows that you cannot be idle and grow. You need to have a constant upkeep in, in your life. And there needs to be a, a consistent amount of, of work, things that you do, a consistent searching in yourself. So let's look back at our example of, of what it's like constantly fixing up your house. Because there has to be a consistent amount of upkeep done in order to make progress. If you never fixed the hole in the ceiling or the leak in the kitchen sink and, and the things that kind of keep coming up, then eventually things would stack on top of each other and there'd be an overwhelming amount of things to do. And so in the same way, in our lives, there are different things that come up and we have to, we cannot be idle because really what ends up happening is once we become idle in our faiths, in our faith walk, we really regress. And so I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this board game, Shoots and Ladders. I think this one actually says Snakes and Ladders. It's the, it's the great value version, but... <laughs> Um, I, think, I think it is just such a great example of our lives and our faith walks because it's so easy to feel like our spiritual growth is like a ladder and it's a constant upward shot. And every single day, wake up in the morning, boom, go up one, one step. Next day, go up another step. And yet, that's not always how it seems to be because very often we realize that we first have to go down in order to go up later. There are things that arise in our lives that cause difficulty. And I don't want to spend all this time talking about growth without acknowledging the fact that growth is difficult. And I can't just sit here and, and yell at all of us about how we need to be growing more, how we need to be doing better, because I know that growth involves a lot of pain, a lot of emotions, a lot of unknowns. And as we go through life, we may very well go through stages in our lives where we are constantly getting to all the ladders and we're, we're growing, we're on fire for Christ and we see so many different ways that he's working in our lives and, and we're just on fire and that's incredible. And then there are other times where it feels like we just keep getting to all of the shoots. We keep feeling like we slide down, like we fall down. And it feels like all we can do each day is to just survive, even though we know that God made us to thrive. So how can we get to the point where we aren't just surviving, but thriving? Let's look back again at verse 1. He talks about how you ought to walk and please God. So many times we feel like we're able to just make it through each day, or, or we feel like everything that we have is being used up on simply surviving. But if we are living to please God, it doesn't matter if life feels perfect. It doesn't matter if every day is not rainbows and butterflies, if every day there is struggle. Because when we are living to please God, no matter what life feels like, we are thriving. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to go back to the questions that I asked at the very beginning. So first, what is lacking in your faith? What, where do you need to grow? 
Where are your weaknesses? And second, what do you feel is your greatest spiritual strength? Think about those things. Because in both of these areas, despite our weaknesses, through the power of God who blesses us with his Holy Spirit, we are able to grow in ways that we could never imagine. That the closer we get to God, the more he pours out his spirit on us, we are able to do things that are so incredible, things that we can't even imagine, because there is no limit to the power of God. Amen? If we just let go and choose to walk in a way that pleases God, And through that, through God's power, then and only then can we thrive and not just survive. I'm going to close this out in a prayer here in a moment. And I just want to extend an invitation if you need prayers this morning. If if you would like to take the next step in your walk with Christ, myself, the elders will be at the back. And you can come forward as we sing this next song. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for your goodness. And we thank you that there is no limit to what you can do. And and I pray that we um, can break down these limits that we set for ourselves and that we allow you to work through us. I pray that we live in a way that honors you and that we can grow closer and closer to you every day. And God, I pray you be with us as we go through moments in our lives where we feel like all we can do is survive. And I pray that you would help us to lean on you, to lean on your power and your spirit, and that through us, through your church, that we can thrive. And thank you so much for Jesus and for his sacrifice and and for that being the only way that makes any of this possible. I pray that we can continue to encourage one another and worship you this morning. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.